Good morning. Today is Wednesday, November 9th, 2022. What I'd like to share with you this morning, I shared with you last year, but today I have a new ending. It relates to the Torah portion of Noach a couple of weeks ago, but the subject is very, very important and it's relevant to every single one of us. And I think that it is worthwhile to discuss it this morning. What does it mean to have faith, to trust God, to have faith in God? Now, often when people say that, they mean, don't worry, it'll be okay. Have faith in God. It'll work out. God will take care of it. You're facing something. You're afraid. You're anxious. Don't worry. Have faith. You'll see. It'll be fine. And in this sense, faith is meant to be positive, encouraging. I don't think that's correct. I don't think that is an authentic understanding because sometimes believing that something will turn out well does not lead to it turning out well. Rather, having faith, authentic faith in God, means whatever will happen will happen according to God's plan. And it will be good for us from God's perspective even if we don't see it. We don't experience it as good. Or perhaps we only see that it is good many years later. That is, in my opinion, authentic Jewish faith. And the classic expression of this, which I've shared with you many times before, is the famous passage in Tehillim, Hashem Roi Lo Exor, God is my shepherd, I shall not want. Gam ki elech begates even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, lo ira ra, I fear no evil. Ki ata imadi, because you, God, are with me. Notice that the absence of ra, lo ira ra, I fear no evil, the absence of that ra, that evil, is not in that I will be saved from pain. It is rather that though I may suffer pain, lo ira ra, ki ata imadi, because you, God, are with me. There is pain, but it will not be ra. It will not be bad or evil because we are always accompanied by God. There is another kind of faith in God, trust in God, a very different kind of faith. And this is the faith of Noah. And I think that it is a faith that is terribly relevant 
to every one of us today. Now, I saw this formulated by a woman named Avi Killip, and it's based on a Rashi, which we actually discussed a couple of weeks ago, learning the Parsha of Noah. God says to Noah, Va'ani hinani mevi es amabul mayim al ha'aretz. God tells Noah, I'm going to bring a flood that will destroy the entire world, l'shachez kol basar, that will destroy all mankind. Vakimosi es brisi itach, and I will reestablish a covenant with you. And in order to do that, for you to survive this catastrophe, this destruction, you will go into an ark that I will command you to build, and you will survive, and I will establish a new covenant with you and your family that will go forward. God did, I'm sorry, Noah did, Everything that God had commanded him, Cain asa. Thus did Noah act. By Yomer Hashem Noach, God said to Noah, Bo ata Now's the time. It's come. You and your family go into the ark. Vayas Noach Hashem. And Noah did all that God had commanded him. Now, the flood began as the water started to rise on the earth. And Noah went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Now, a close reading of those words leads to a question about the last three words, mipnei mei hamabul. If God told Noah what was going to happen and commanded him to build the ark and to gather the animals and to enter the ark, and the Torah says more than once, Noah did exactly and completely what God told him. Why does the Torah say that Noah entered the ark mipnei mehamabul because of the waters of the flood and not simply kasher tziva shemes Noah, like God commanded Noah? So Rashi comments. Af Noach Miktaneya Noach, even as great as he was, was of imperfect faith in God. Mamin, the Mamin. He believed, he had faith in God, but he also did not have faith. Shiyavuhamabul that the flood would actually come, and so therefore he did not actually enter the ark until he was forced to enter because of the rising flood waters. That's why it says, Noah entered because Noah was 99% certain. After all, God told him. But, 
Noach thinks to himself, maybe, just in case. He waited until he saw the waters rising with his own eyes. And we discussed this together a couple of weeks ago. I think that this makes Noach relatable to us because even the most religious, spiritual, pious person, believing person, still has doubts. And that's to be expected, especially in Noah's unprecedented circumstances. We discuss this. But here's the radical insight. <clears throat> Noah was a mamin. He had faith. He had faith in God. But what does faith mean to Noah? Faith for Noah does not mean... It's reassuring, everything will be okay, don't worry. On the contrary, Noah's faith is that the absolute worst will happen. The world will be destroyed. And Noah is 99% certain of this. And Noah is held accountable. He's called an Enomamin, but he did not have complete faith because he held on to the remote possibility that everything would be okay. That was the weakness of his faith. Maybe it will be all right. And that is exactly the opposite of what we often think of faith that everything will be okay. No, Noah teaches us sometimes we have to have faith. We have to trust that the most catastrophic outcome will in fact happen. And we must prepare for it. Now, God does not speak to us today the way he spoke to Noah. God speaks to us through events in the world, what happens to us, what we see, what we learn, what science tells us, what research tells us. And often those messages from God are less distinct, harder to confidently comprehend than when he spoke openly and clearly, for example, to Noah. But sometimes, even today, the message is clear and unavoidable. To anyone with open eyes, to anyone with an open mind, the exact same message that God gave to Noah, God is giving to us today. Our earth is in trouble. Farhad Manju is a remarkable and eloquent writer. And several years ago, he wrote this article in the New York Times. 2019. He wrote, We are Blackberry after the iPhone, Blockbuster after Netflix. We've got the wrong design. We bet on the wrong technologies. We've got the wrong incentives and we're saddled with the wrong culture. Our whole way of life is built on a series of myths. 
the myth of endless space, endless fuel, endless water, endless optimism, endless outward reach, and endless free parking. One by one, those myths are bursting into flames. That was 2019, and the situation of our planet, of the environment, is undoubtedly worse today. I recently listened to an in-depth report about the failure of recycling. Now, people are recycling more and more, which is great. And for some materials, this is a significant improvement for the earth, for the environment. But, just to take one example, but a huge example, recycling plastic is a depressing and demoralizing failure. Of the plastic we laboriously put into the correct bins, only 5% of it is actually usably recycled. The rest is just garbage. Every four years, the United States government produces the National Climate Assessment. It's the United States government's premier contribution to climate knowledge, and it provides the most detailed look at the consequences of global warming for the United States, both in the present, both in the present and the future. A draft of that report was just released. And it says, the effects of climate change are already far-reaching and worsening throughout all regions of the United States. Again, it's talking about the United States. You can imagine how much worse it is in other parts of the world. Posing profound risks to virtually every aspect of society. The things Americans value most are at risk. More intense extreme events, long-term climate change made it, make it harder to maintain safe homes and healthy families, reliable public services, a sustainable economy, thriving ecosystems, strong communities. All of that is in danger in the United States. The old narrative that climate change is something that's happening to polar bears or it's going to happen to your grandchildren, that was never true. But it is now obviously not true. There's bad stuff happening now where we can very confidently say this wouldn't have happened without climate change. And. And. <clears throat> two weeks ago, there was a remarkable article published by David Wallace Wells also in the New York Times. If you have a chance to read this, I urge you to read it. The title of the article is Beyond Catastrophe, A New Climate Reality is Coming into View. David Wallace Wells is one of the most respected writers on the subject of climate change and the environment. Listen to what he wrote. Just a few years ago, climate projections for this century looked quite apocalyptic 
with most scientists warning that continuing business as usual would bring the world four or even five degrees Celsius of warming. Now, as you may know, this is one of the most important indicators of the health of the Earth, the level of rising global temperature. So a rise of four or five degrees Celsius is a change disruptive enough to call forth not only predictions of food crises and hate stress, state conflict and economic strife, but from some corners, warnings of civilizational collapse. Now, he writes, with the world already 1.2 degrees hotter, Scientists believe that warming this century will most likely fall between two or three degrees. Now, those numbers may sound abstract, but what they suggest is this. Thanks to astonishing declines in the price of renewables, a truly global political mobilization, a clear picture of the energy future and serious policy focus from world leaders, with exceptions, we have cut expected warning, warming almost in half in just five years. Kate Marvell is a scientist with NASA. She's one of the lead authors of this study whose draft was just released. And she wrote, the world will be what we make it. The primary determinant of the future is what humans do in the present. She wrote, we live in a terrible world and we live in a wonderful world. It's a terrible world that's more than a degree Celsius warmer, but it's also a wonderful world in which we have so many ways to generate electricity that are cheaper and more cost-effective and easier to deploy than I would have ever imagined. If you had told me five years ago that that would be the case, I would have thought, wow, that's a miracle. Now, please understand, things are bad, very, very bad. Signs of optimism are not arguments for complacency. Overall emissions have not yet begun to decline. Things will get worse before they even stabilize, much less get any better. But we can make a difference. Marshall Burke is a scientist at Stanford and he wrote, the problem is a result of human choices, our choices, and our progress on it is also the result of human choices and those should be celebrated. It's not yet sufficient, but it is amazing. If Noah were here today, first, uh, I think he would say, oh no, not again. <laughs> 
And then I think he would say, have faith, but have my faith that it's a fact that we are destroying our world and there is no one to fix it but ourselves. And also have faith that we can fix it. We're halfway there. Look at the great view behind you. We actually made it up halfway and it was a hard slog. So take a breather. Pat yourself on the back. But then look up. That's where we have to go. So let's keep on going. My friends, I want to wish you a great day. And I look forward to seeing you soon in person.